Welcome to The Rock Church, a vibrant, enthusiastic, edgy church meeting in West Bridgeford, Nottingham. You can find out more about us by visiting the-rock.org.uk. We hope you were blessed by this message. The potential in the next half hour for your life to be changed is right up there. Right up there. I mean, it has been throughout the service, but this is just another, uh, another time where we just need to lean in. We need to listen up. Uh, and, but it's it's only going to be, it's only going to be as high as you want it to be. Okay, we could have the absolute world-beating best preacher of the moment up here on the stage, but if you haven't got a heart to receive what they're going to say no matter how good they are, you're not going to get anything out of it. Does anybody know what I'm saying? So it's just a reminder. It's another encouragement. We have got a very, very good preacher, and um, she always knocks it out of the park, and she's going to nudge you and challenge you, as always. Are you up for that? Really? Or is that just a, I know it's the right thing to say. Just tell yourself, I'm ready to be nudged. Just tell yourself now. Right, now turn to your neighbor and say, are you ready to be nudged? Right, Kate, come and nudge us. Give her a hand. Thank you. I need my little volunteer, Claire. I'm just going to do an illustration before I start preaching. Claire, please come up here. I've asked Claire if she trusts me, and she says that she does. So this is Claire, everybody. Give Say hello, everybody. Turn around, please. I want you facing that way. That's it. I would like 10 men, 10 men to come out the front for me. You need to be strong. I need another bloke. Right, that's six. Yes, thank you. Phil. Come on the end. We might not need you because she's not that tall. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to rub it in. <laughs> Don't you worry about a thing. You said you said you trusted me. I'm just gonna nudge Claire. I'm just gonna nudge you. Shut your eyes and pray like one oh. Here we go. Woo! It worked. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Health and safety. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Claire. Little illustration. You survived. Was that fun? It looked good. Eger was one of the psalm writers, and he said there were four things that were too wonderful for him to describe. And the first one is this, the way of an eagle in the air. I'm not going to tell you the other three, because I'm going to talk about the eagle for a minute. Ever, anybody ever watched an eagle in flight? Like, not on TV, like, properly seen, a proper, you know, bird of prey. Ooh. Well, Claire, uh, Chloe, no, that's my daughter, she's not here. Kathy and I went to California for three weeks, about, about a month ago, and we had one day when we had this mammoth 10-hour road trip, okay? So we started in um, Arizona at the Grand Canyon, and we were traveling through Nevada, past um, Vegas, and all the way back into California to uh, a place called um, Yosemite National Park. And as we were driving, 
I tell you what, we didn't see much at all because there's nothing there. It's just complete desert. Didn't even see cars for most of the, the journey. But as we were driving, we saw a lot of birds of prey just soaring and swooping. It was stunning. We literally drove all day. We were desperate to stop for about six hours, but we saw nothing. There were no shops, there were no petrol stations, and there were definitely no toilets. And we, we literally were on rations of cheesy balls, one bottle of water, and this sharing Snickers bar. It's all we had. We were starving, we needed the loo, we needed petrol, and it was rather scary. But it was so amazing just seeing these birds of prey every so often. I've got to tell you this, because... The journey was 10 and a half hours, and at 10 hours, the sat-nav said, would you like to save 10 minutes on your journey? Well, anyone who knows me will know I always want to shave some time off a journey because I like to put my foot down and just get from A to B as quickly as possible. So I was like, heck yeah, press that button. We're, we're going to shave 10 minutes off here. And then it said, you may encounter bumps in the road. Okay, I thought, okay, well, I can cope with a few bumps, not my car. So there we go on this, on this little detour, and by this time, it's pitch black, and we're literally driving down these roads, not seeing another car, not seeing another person for hours, literally, and we literally end up on a dirt track, and it is like this, literally like this, we're like, all the way, and we, we get to where we think we're about to turn, and we just literally come across this gated, padlocked, massive kind of no entry sign, trespassers, trespassers will be prosecuted. And we were like, well, this is meant to be our turn. Now, what, now we're, at this point, we're actually quite scared. <laughs> like, we're in the middle of nowhere. We're just two blonde-haired women. It's like anything could happen, lock the doors. But we had to turn around, go all the way back, and then find our way. It was quite funny afterwards, but at the time, it was really scary. It was like one of those driving through the valley of the shadow of death type experiences. But anyway, it just all made for a magical road trip. But getting back to the eagles, man, they are something serious to behold. Like, I, I was just in awe of God. Their wingspan is absolutely incredible, and they just soar and glide. And the chances are, though, when you see these beautiful creatures soaring, they're probably on the lookout for food, and more than likely not for themselves, but for their babies, because the eagles make the most amazing parents. The men go out, the men, you know, the, the male eagle goes out and finds the food and the mum just broods and looks after her little babies. And what these parents do is they build nests in like the tallest trees they can find so that they are completely protected. Nobody or anything can get to them. And they, the, the nests that they make, they're, they're just, they're made out of the softest feathers that they can find and they really pad it out to make it as comfortable as possible for their babies. And then when the eggs hatch and these little eaglets are born, those babies, they get their mums complete and undivided attention all day long. And the daddy will go out and find the worms and whatever he's going to feed them with and come back every so often. And those little baby eaglets, they live in comfort in the nest, weighted on hand and foot for about... 12 weeks and then without warning which is a total surprise to these little eaglets the mother eagle suddenly changes her behavior because she knows it's time for those eaglets to leave the nest and learn to fry so what she does is she starts chucking all the toys out she starts making it uncomfortable she rips out the nice material and the feathers and the animal fur and she starts breaking up the twigs and she basically leaves these little eaglets sitting on like nasty thorny branches she overturns 
that comfortable little home. And in the Bible, it says this, the mother eagle stirs up her nest. And that's what it means when she stirs up her nest. She's getting these eaglets ready. Of course, the eaglets are scared stiff, thinking, what is going on here? I was having a great time. And then the mummy eagle gently starts to nudge one of the babies to the edge of the overturned nest. And then she pushes it out into the air. And that little eagle does not know what to do. It doesn't know what's hit it. It doesn't know how to fly. And so it falls like this dead weight to the ground, squawking with fear. But just as it's about to hit the floor, the mother eagle swoops down and catches him these little eaglets in a huge wingspan and she carries them back safely up into the nest. And she will repeat this process again and again and again until the eaglet finally gets to realize, actually, I haven't got a choice in this. I need to start to fly. And the reason she does it, the reason she stirs the nest is because of that reason. She wants to see her babies fly. So she nudges them because she loves them. She wants the best for their lives. She wants the best possible. And she knows that their destiny is to soar. Isaiah 41 says, 30, sorry, Isaiah 40, 31. They will soar on wings like eagles. But they need, pretty quickly, they need to realize that soaring is not an automatic thing. And you know what? If those eaglets were never, never nudged, they wouldn't leave the nest. And I reckon nine times out of ten, if we're not nudged, we don't leave it either. We are creatures of comfort and habit. And is God maybe working in your life tonight the same way that mother eagle does with her young? Is he maybe pulling out some of the padding in your nest that you find yourself sitting on prickly branches? Are you feeling uncomfortable tonight? Are you feeling like God's nudging you to do something? Is he saying to you, come on, come on my son, come on my daughter, it's time to soar. It's time to fly. And if he is, just remember that mother eagle's intentions and know that if she's that good to her young, how much more can we trust a loving God who only ever has our best intentions at heart? Ah, the nest. It's so nice. It's so comfy. It's so safe and warm and secure. And by your nest, I mean that place that's become your retreat, your recluse, your refuge, your resting place. And for some of you, it might be your bed, or it might be your sofa with a nice Netflix series. Some of you may be way too comfortable in the job that you're in, or in the relationship that you're in, and you'll think it's just easier to stay, but you know you should probably go. Maybe you need to go to your next level in serving or in ministry. Whatever your nest is, remember this. Ecclesiastes says, to everything there is a season. It doesn't say the next bit, but there's a season to be comfy. This is the Kate Kent version of the Bible. And there's a season to be nudged. What season are you in? You can't stay in the nest forever. Because if you stay in the nest too long, it, it, it's not an incubator. It becomes uncomfortable. It becomes a prison cell. Because you can't grow in comfort. You stagnate and you die, and it's the nudging that leads you into that place of soaring. Hebrews 10.38 in the Passion Translation says this, My righteous ones will live from my faith, but if fear holds them back, my soul is not content with them. But we are certainly not those who are held back by fear and perish. We are among those who have faith and experience true life. 
And this verse tells us that God isn't content when fear is holding us back. And as a result, he'll start acting like the eagle does. He will start gently nudging us out of our nest and all we can do is trust him with the free fall. The definition of nudging is just to gently push someone, just like I did with Claire, push someone or something into a place or into a position. It's not a shove. God doesn't shove us. He's gentle and caring and compassionate. You might feel like you're being shoved, but that ain't God. I can remember being in a worship group practice when we were at the Christian Center, and one of the ministers walked in, and he summoned me off the stage as we were practicing, and I thought, you know what it's like when someone, when someone in senior position to you comes and summons you, you just think, oh no, what have I done now? Oh, this is scary. So when I got down, and he said, I'd like to have a word with you at the end, and then you get back on the stage, and you're like, oh man, I'm in trouble. And true to form, he comes back at the end, and he sits me down, and what he said just, just completely, I, w- I wasn't ready for it at all. And he said, I understand that um, you've been invited onto the women's ministry team at the church. I was like, yeah, yeah, what have I said? What have I done? He says, yeah, well, one of the women in the team reports back to the senior leadership team of the church. And they said that you've been asking questions. I'm like, oh, no, man, I'm in so much trouble. And he said, um, we understand that you're talking things like vision and and where is the ministry going? And And he basically said, we've had a discussion and we want you to lead the ministry. I was like, well, the first thing I said was, what about your wife? Because at that point in time in the Christian center, no woman had ever graced the pulpit. And he said, I don't want my wife. We want you. Could have hit me with a hammer. And my second question was, but there's already a leader. And that leader was my friend. And she'd invited me onto her team. I said, what are you going to do with that? And he says, don't worry about that. We'll deal with that. But we want you to lead this ministry. So the walk from the church to my car is about a 30-second walk. And on that 30-second walk, I can hear the enemy saying, you can't do that. Who do you think you are? What on earth was that? And the enemy is coming in and coming in. And I sat in my car and I was like, I need to ring my mummy. I need to ring my mummy. I'm scared. And I called my mother and I said, Mum, you're not going to believe this, but I've just been asked to head up the women's ministry at the Christian Centre. And she just said to me, it was a 30-second conversation, she said, yeah, I can believe that. You'd be brilliant. Go for it. And that was all I needed. That was the affirmation that I needed. And I just thought, what, what was all that rubbish going on in my head? And then, of course, I took on the ministry and it, it, was, it was great. I was ready at that point to be nudged. I was ready for the free fall. I wanted to soar. I was ready to let God take me where I'd not really been before. And I say not really been because in my previous church, I tried to do some women's ministry, but there was about 30 of us. And in this church, it was about five to 600. So it was a little bit of a jump. It's quite a big nudge. but I had to trust that my wings would develop as I took the high dive from the nest and that his grace would carry me and put wind in my sails. And he did, of course he did, because he asked me to do it. Because God's not waiting for us to fail. If God asks you to do something, he'll give you everything you need to be successful. He'll give you people, he'll give you resource. 
He'll do everything in his power. And I want to encourage you that as a senior leadership team, that is exactly what we will do for you. So when we come and nudge you and say, you can do this, you can do this, we'll support you in this. You need to trust us because we only want the best for you. You've just heard what Lynn's been saying. If you're here, there's a purpose for you being here. We're all part of the body of Christ and we've all got a part to play in it. And we want to see you guys fly. We want to nudge you out of obscurity and comfort and see you soar. Moses knew this gentle nudging of God as well. This is a guy that God showed up to in a burning bush. He wanted him to go to Pharaoh and tell him to set the Israelites free. And I love it because Moses comes up with a shed load of questions. Listen to this, Exodus 3 and 4. So God's asked him to set his people free. This is the first thing Moses says to God. Why me? What makes you think I could ever go to Pharaoh and lead the children of Israel out of Egypt? Verse 13, suppose I go to the people of Egypt and tell them, the God of your father sent me to you and they ask me, what's his name? Then what do I say? What do I tell them? Chapter four, verse one, Moses objected. They won't trust me. They're not gonna listen to a word I've gotta say. They're gonna say, God appeared to him. Yeah, right. Verse 10, Moses raises another objection to God. Master, please, I don't talk well. I've never been good with words, neither before nor after you spoke to me. I'm a stutterer and a stammerer. Verse 13, Master, please send somebody else. Five excuses later, Moses finally overcomes and steps out in obedience. And I want to encourage you, so can you. You can come up with as many excuses as you like, but we're going to keep nudging you. His circumstances hadn't changed. He was still scared stiff, but he chose to obey. And with the help of Aaron, he even helped the next generation do the same thing. And he wrote a song on his deathbed to teach the people of Israel and their new leader, Joshua, about God's faithfulness in the past. And the testimony and wisdom from Moses gave them hope to step into the unknown free-fall future without Moses by their side. And eventually, they got to the promised land. And this song has the potential to launch you, to launch us into our promised land as well. It's found in Deuteronomy 32.10. And I'm going to change the wording so that it's personalized to you. So I want you to feel like God's speaking to you as I read this. He, God, found you out in the wilderness in an empty, windswept wasteland. He threw his arms around you, Chris. He threw his arms around you. He lavished his attention on you, guarding you as the apple of his eye. He was like an eagle hovering over its nest, overshadowing its young, and then spreading its wings, lifting you into the air, teaching you how to fly. God alone led you. There was not a foreign God in sight. God lifted you onto the hilltop so you could feast on the crops in the fields. He fed you, Sarah. Honey from the rock, oil from crags, curds of cattle and the milk of sheep, the choice cuts of lambs and goats, fine bash and rams, high quality wheat and the blood of grapes. And you drank good wine. This is who God was for Moses. And this is exactly who God will be for every single one of us. He wants to lavish his attention on us. He can find us wherever we are, whatever wilderness you find yourself in. He wants to protect and discipline us. But I'll tell you this, he's way more interested in our character than in our comfort. So watch out, because he wants to teach you how to fly, even though it's scary, even though it might be a long way down. 
Is he maybe asking you to rise up on eagle's wings tonight? To lean over whatever your nest is and to take a look down to the freefall, trusting that he's going to swoop down before you hit the ground. Because I can personally promise you this, he will swoop down. That's who he is. His heart is never to shame, never to humiliate, never to push. He will never push you too far. And he will definitely never push you away. His heart is to see every single one of us soar. I remember taking a job as a research associate for a legal recruitment firm. I'm sad to say that I was drawn in by the lure of a great salary, a company car after three months, and a lot of bonuses. And there was also this £500 incentive scheme. If I could recommend somebody to the company to work for them, I would get a £500 bonus tax-free. And I had a friend who was out of work, and I recommended her, and she got the job. So I took this job, and within one day, I knew it wasn't the job for me. My job description, in a nutshell, was to worm my way past secretaries and gatekeepers to talk to the top guys in the city of London to headhunt them for great positions in law firms. And the only way that you could get to these top lawyers was to research who they were, find out who their friends were, find out the university they'd been through, and then when you got through to the gatekeeper, you would pretend that they were one of your friends that you went to university with or that you'd worked with before. It was hell, because I'm not pushy, I'm no salesperson, and I can't lie to save my life. I was five days in, and I was literally dreading going to work every day. I managed to get my mate that job, so I knew I'd got this extra 500 pound coming at the end of the month, and I walked in on my second week on the Monday morning, didn't even get to put my computer on, and we had a phone call from the manager basically to say, put your computers off, the company's gone bust, you're out of work and you won't be getting paid. And I was like, oh, thank you, Jesus. Everybody else was, was gasping and thinking, now what am I going to do and how am I going to survive? And I was just so grateful that he'd taken me out of a horrific situation. I was lured by the trappings of money and God was gracious to me. He's so good to us. What seemed like a nightmare to the rest of them was utter peace in my spirit as I walked out. But from day one in that job, I wasn't nudged. I wasn't nurtured. I was shoved. I was told I needed to be cutthroat. And I was told that I needed to be much better at lying. If they hadn't have gone bust, I wouldn't have lasted another day in that job. Problem was, that £500 bonus that was coming, I'd already spent. <laughs> so I was totally skinned and didn't even get paid for the week that I'd done. But hey... God rescued me. And some of you are being bullied into doing stuff. But let me tell you, God will never bully you. It's not God. God might nudge you, but he will never bully you. And the nudge is scary, but I found out time and time again, it's the best place to live. It might be uncomfortable, it might be uncertain, but you'll never know how great God is until you've been nudged. That mother eagle who's protected her eggs and sat on them and nurtured them and loved them she must appear so cruel to those eaglets when she starts pushing them. But if she can't push them out of the nest, she knows they'll never reach their destiny. And God will do the same with us. Think about the people that God's used to get you where you are today. Think about the people that have come into your life, that have helped you. That you wouldn't be the same today. You wouldn't be where you are today without them. That person who maybe got you that job, that person who's been mentoring you and pushing you. That person who gave you a helping hand or maybe lent you money to set up a business. 
The person who believed in you and championed you and said, dream bigger, think bigger. The person who discovered your gifts and your strengths, or maybe even your ministry. I remember when I was at college, I was 17 and started um, a BTEC in business and finance. Wasn't clever enough for A-levels. But I was doing quite well in my BTEC and my, uh, my lecturer said to me, I think you should do a business studies A-level alongside your BTEC in business. I'm thinking, I can't do an A-level. I left school with three CSEs. And so anyway, I started this A-level and on my first paper, the mark came back. It wasn't the best mark in the world, but the comment was incredible. The comment was, if you can keep up this standard of writing, you could go to university. Trust me, for someone who left school with nothing, university had never even been in my head. So to hear that from somebody, to hear a teacher say that they believed in me and they were championing me and they pushed me to do the A-level alongside what I was already doing. If it wasn't for that man, John McKeefrey, if anybody knows where he is, I would love to thank him. I wouldn't be where I am today. It just took one person to believe in me. I'd have died if I'd have just done what I'd done. I'd have died in that little nest. But somebody came alongside and they lowered their wings so that I could mount upon them. And people have done the same for you. And we should always credit those people. We should thank them. Thank them before it's too late. But I need to tell you this as well. It wasn't really them. It was God using them. Christian walk isn't about comfort. And if that's what you signed up for, you're going to be hugely disappointed. Jesus said there are two paths. There's the narrow path or there's the broad path. Choose the narrow path. It's hard. It's hard being a Christian. Our journey is not one of comfort in the Christian faith. But whenever God wants to move you out of your nest, he'll allow something major to go down in your life. It's called disruption. It's called stirring up the nest. And disruption is always a sign that God is setting you up for progression. Because all the while we're comfy, we never get to discover our wings. Spoiler alert, you don't belong in the nest. We belong in the air. So the next time you feel disrupted, think about this and think about a positive confession. Simon spoke about a positive confession last week. Say this, it was good for me that I was afflicted. It was good for me that you let me down. I'm so glad you dropped me. I would never have known. I didn't know what I was capable of. I didn't know that I could stand what I've been through. I didn't know I could survive. I didn't know I could make it through this. I didn't know I was strong. I didn't know I was smart. I didn't know I was powerful. But thank you, Jesus, for nudging me into my destiny. And you know, as I look around this room tonight, so many of you have had this experience of being nudged, of being dangled right over the edge of your nest. That free fall, the thrill of soaring, has to start with the fear of falling. But guess what? You're still here. You're still here to tell the tale. You're not dead. In fact, you're more alive for the free fall than you ever were before it. You're here to tell a tale. You've learned in the process that it was good for you. You've learned to trust God. You've learned that a little bit of nudging is actually good for the soul. In fact, I would go as far to say that the nudge is one of the greatest gifts that God can give us. It is the supreme act of love to nudge us into destiny. I remember when we pioneered this church and I'd just finished a year out and I'd not earned anything for a year and I was desperate for a job. 
to go alongside the running of the church. And we went for a holiday at Centre Parks. And while we were there, I got a phone call from a guy I've never heard of. And he said, I'd like to employ you as an editorial assistant for a church magazine. I've never been an editorial assistant. I'd never written a publication or an article in my life. I had no idea how to do the job. And I still, to this day, have no idea why they chose me or where they got my name from. But that role set us up for success because my role was to oversee the national leadership team of our denomination and all the articles they were submitting to our denomination's magazine. I even ended up ghostwriting for our national leader and people would write in and say, oh, that article that John Partington did, that was so good. And I'm thinking, that was me. But actually, I had no idea when I was nudged how I was going to do it. I didn't know I could write. It took the nudge to set us up for success. What happened in that job is that I dared to break a law. And sometimes we have to be willing to break laws to get to the next level. And whatever law holds you down or holds you back has to be broken or you'll never escape. And see, the law that holds us down is the law of gravity. That's what's bringing you down. Gravity is the pull to stay where you started. It's the pull to sit in the comfort of the nest and be fed by others. And there's a gravitational pull in the lives of every person in this room. There's a gravitational pull that whenever you try to get back up, it will always try and pull you back down again. But we've got to break the pull. We've got to break the cycle. We've got to get out of our comfort zones and our nests. Why don't you slap your neighbor and say, I'm going to break that law. I'm going to break that law. No more. That law may have robbed my mum. It may have robbed my sister. No more. It might have wrecked my brother's life. But I'm going to be the generation that's going to break a law. For 400 years, Israel was bound by a law. 400 years is 10 generations. 10 generations woke up in the morning every morning as slaves. 10 generations, every time they saw the sun go up, the sun was shining on slaves. And one night they went to bed. They call it the Passover night. And the angel of death was going to come over. And if you put blood on your doorpost, he was going to leave you alone. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. And that morning when they got up, They didn't get up to make bricks. They didn't get up to make Pharaoh's bed. They didn't get up to give coffee to Mrs. Pharaoh. That morning when they got up, they grabbed their stuff and they said, this is my last night. God said, I'm going to bring you out on eagle's wings. And you know what? God's going to bring some of you out on eagle's wings as well. If you'll just let him dangle your feet over that nest, over that place that is of comfort to you. If you'll just allow him to ruffle up your feathers a bit, if you'll allow him to nudge you out for the free fall, if you dare to break the law of gravity, you will see phenomenal exploits in your life. So I encourage you to make the jump tonight because I can promise you this, there is always more on the outside of the nest than there is in it. And we don't want you sitting in comfy, nice, cozy, holy huddles being spoon-fed. We want you soaring in the slipstream, living the dream, full of purpose and full of destiny. But if you can't take a nudge in, you'll end up with nothing. So the challenge is this. What is your nest? And will you allow God to nudge you out of it tonight?